What's up, Whiteman Warriors? Welcome to Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. Put yourself first, others will line up to follow. You can try and read my lyrics off of this paper before I lay them, but you won't take the sting out these words before I say them, because ain't no way I'm going to let you stop me from causing man when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Hey, everybody, we're joined today by the Task Force True North Coordinator, Miss Morgan Hildebrand, and I am Chaplain Graham Bailey. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about becoming stronger after dark seasons of life. We're going to talk about being more than a conqueror. We're going to talk about what it means to live your life in a way that expresses to yourself and to other people that you are not afraid, not afraid of difficulty and not afraid of overcoming so real quick, just as an intro to the podcast, this is our first podcast, and we want all of you to know what our aim with the Practicing the Pillars podcast is. So the Practicing the Pillars podcast is an opportunity for the Whiteman community to have an accessible place where they can connect, converse, and establish community around the area of resilience, whole and healthy living, uh, and really just encouraging each other as a family. Absolutely. Talk about our own stories, talk about the stories of the people we love, and grow from it. Yeah, so think uh, some kind of a combination between storytellers and TED Radio Hour. I dig it. And one of the things that we want to use this podcast as a tool for is to help people develop uh, a posture of readiness, a posture of resilience, and really a posture of strength in their life. Well, I would say the best way to get started with that would be for us to be as vulnerable as we want others to be. So, Graham, I believe you have a story of resiliency that maybe you could share. I do have a story, and it's uh, super important that you bring up this issue of leading from the front when it comes to vulnerability. I feel like that's really important, and that's, uh, that's really why I'm willing to tell my story. So uh, for about three or four years of my life, uh, I went through a period where I drank really excessively. What kicked that off for you? Well, to make a long story short, I... Um, I experienced a traumatic brain injury. I had gone out for a skateboarding ride with my kids uh, and uh, lost control of my skateboard. I was going pretty fast down a hill, and uh, I, I fell off the skateboard. Uh, I cracked my skull and slammed my brain forward inside my skull in the front um, and ended up with a subcortal hematoma. Uh, what I remember about the accident was that I jumped off the skateboard did a backflip and stuck the landing like Mary Lou Retton in the 1984 Olympics. <laughs> Gold medal. Gold medal. Yeah, that's totally how I remember it. Uh, but I ended up, I ended up in the hospital unconscious for two weeks. The stories about me in the hospital uh, unconscious were pretty epic. Um, but yeah, unconscious in the hospital for two weeks, and then came home and was in and out of consciousness for about another month. Uh, while I was in the hospital, they had to do some things to manage the bleeding on my brain. Uh, 
and they had to give me some medicine. Then that medicine then affected my brain's ability to produce uh, the sleep hormone melatonin, uh, which helps you fall asleep at night. And what I knew from my previous experience uh, in just life uh, and, you know, days that were stressful and difficult was that if I was having a hard time sleeping, I could uh, have a, a beer or two or a couple of cocktails and I'd be able to fall asleep uh, at night without too much problem. So you started self-medicating. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly what I did. I started self-medicating um, and it got to a point where uh, I was drinking every night. Uh, I was drinking um, more than one or two drinks a night. I was drinking quite a bit and uh, and. I never, I never had a uh, a point where I said to myself, "Wow, I, um, I, uh, uh, I think I want to drink at nine o'clock in the morning." But, but all through the day, from the time that I woke up to the time that I went to bed, or from the time that I started drinking, that's all I was really thinking about was when can I have a drink. So, this escalated to what point? I mean, there had to be a trigger at which you took a self-evaluation and went, well, now I have to do something about this. Yeah, so I um, I'd been at home one night uh, and I'd had some I had had some drinks and uh, I was I own I own firearms in my house. Um, and I was uh, I was cleaning my firearms uh, and I follow all the rules about, you know, keeping ammunition and firearms separate from one another and so there was no ammunition anywhere near my firearms um but i had been drinking and i was cleaning i was cleaning my firearms and that uh, made my wife really really nervous and so uh she called my uncle who uh is a, a firefighter with the lafd los angeles fire department and the next day he gave me a call and she called him sort of to say, hey, can you just talk to Graham and uh, get him to, like, wake up, like, snap out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he called me, and and he started asking me all kinds of questions about, you know, firearm safety in the house, and can you find a different place to store your guns and these sorts of things. And and I'm listening to him talk, and and I, I, I'm having this conversation in the back of my mind where I'm like, I understand, you know, John is asking me, questions because he cares about me but he really doesn't know what the issue is and so I just I just cut him off and I interrupted him and I said John the problem is not firearms uh, safety in my house I I follow all the rules the problem is that uh, I'm drinking every single day and I uh, had been drinking yesterday when I was uh, cleaning my firearms So you had to admit, yeah, there were concerns that your wife had. Yeah, no. So it was, it was a valid concern. It was an appropriate concern. It was a hundred percent spot on. But it it wasn't really until that moment when I, I was confronted by my uncle, somebody that I trusted, and somebody who, um, who I looked up to, um, was asking me these questions, and I just thought to myself, God, I'm just. I'm just sick of this. I mean, I could, I could tell him, you know, I could go through the motions and say, yeah, John, thanks. Great. Like, uh, copy all, I'll, I'll take your advice and do something different with 
you know, the firearms in my house, but something just happened in that moment where I'm like, enough, uh, no more BS. Like this is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't even really expecting, uh, to do that at that moment. Cause I previously had been really guarded, uh, with my uncle, but I did it. And then I heard myself say it and I was like, well, like, it was like an outer body body experience where I watched myself talking and I told myself while I was outside of myself, get that idiot some help. So, so you go to get help? Yeah. It's funny. Cause I'd gone to, I'd gone to see somebody before and, uh, it, it kind of went like this. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> this, this person just didn't, uh, did not, uh, connect with me at all. And, and I thought to myself, like when I was talking to this person before, I thought this person is telling me all kinds of stuff that I already know, giving me all the answers that I already have and trying to give to me what I give to everybody else, which is, you know, help, counseling advice all that good stuff um and so the first time that i'd gone and and seen this person they just and i don't know how to i don't know how to say it without sounding mean i just i just uh i just like this person looks and talks and acts like what you would think a counselor quote air quote counselor would look and talk like and i just wasn't interested i just didn't want to i just didn't want to sit there and, and and listen to this person tell me all the stuff that I already knew, but that's because I was angry and I had been dealing with lots of emotional uh, baggage uh, three years in a row. I had had near-death experiences. This wasn't the first time, this brain injury. Uh, the year before that, I had been involved in a pretty bad motorcycle accident. Um, and the year before that, I had fallen off my roof and broken my back um, and just... So just like a glutton for punishment. Yeah, for for whatever reason, three years in a row, I nearly died. And so I had all this emotional baggage of, like, thinking about my own mortality. Um, and, of course, I had done all kinds of, like, thinking and reading about that. And, and I just, the first time I went and talked to somebody, all of that, all of that anger and frustration um, and, and pride, thinking that I knew better or uh, whatever, just, it just served to isolate me and I didn't. Um, and I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't listen at all. So do you go to a different counselor at that point? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's really funny. Um, I didn't initially, right. I didn't, um, I, I let my stereotypes get in the way of me seeking help. I let my, I let my own stuff, uh, serve as a way of keeping me isolated and alone longer but then, then, <laughs> then I have this outer body experience where I see myself talking to my uncle and I hear the words that are, that are coming out of my mouth and I'm like, go do something. And so I just decide that I'm going to go and I'm going to actually commit to this process. And the craziest thing happened. It was not at all what I expected because, because I was partially expecting that the second time to go and talk to somebody uh, was going to be the same as it was before, but this time I was just going to have to suck it up and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, so I call and I make an appointment, and really the appointment was for uh, for for family counseling. I mean, I had not been diagnosed with anything, and I had never had any 
um, you know, alcohol related incidents, but I knew that I needed to go and talk because this was affecting my family. So I go to this counselor, um, and I get there and you're not going to believe. So I get there and I pull up to the, uh, counselor's office and I'm expecting it to be the same as it, uh, same as it ever was, right? It's going to be the same as it had always been. Um, and I'm just gonna have to suck it up. But I get there and I pull in and the first thing I see is in the driveway, there's this black Dodge Ram truck. And I'm like, surely this, this isn't my counselor's car, but there's no other cars in the parking lot. I go in and I kid you not, the dude that was my counselor. And at first I thought maybe he was like the receptionist, but no, this was my counselor. (laughs) Or maybe I thought he was a dude that was like leaving his counseling appointment. Right. Um, But no, this was my counselor. And I'm not kidding you. The guy was a doppelganger of Sam Elliott. Do do you know, do you know who Sam Elliott is? Yeah. Sam Elliott's the ghost rider. (laughs) And and he's in Gettysburg and Gettysburg is a, is a Christmas tradition at my house. Every year at Christmas, I watch Gettysburg. I'm not really sure why that's a Christmas tradition, but it absolutely, I mean, can you, we can take this land, you know. We've got to take that hill. You know, I just love it. Like and 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 Sam's got that deep voice. And and I'm sitting there and I'm having and I'm having this conversation and I'm like, I can't believe it cuz Sam Elliott is looking at me and talking to me about my life. And I and 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 I and it was it really it was a it was a it was a blessing uh that that I was not expecting. Uh and on some level I was more into the counseling because this dude was like a dude that I could relate to. And it really, really made a huge difference. Um, so anyway, we, uh, we start talking and, and I had also gone, uh, at the same time to see a nutritionist. Uh, so I've got somebody talking to me about, uh, my, my relationship with like my mortality, um, and the experiences that I had previously had and he's talking to me about my relationship with the people in my family and in my home and uh, and I'm also talking to a nutritionist who's getting me on some pretty good uh, uh, supplements to help uh, reproduce melatonin naturally in my own brain uh, and slowly but surely uh, things start improving at that point because um Graham and the Ghost Rider started doing work together. So, before we go any further, I I want to take a second and I like that you are pretty open about the fact that the first person you went to, not your person, your your stereotypes and your anger and your frustration really clouded your judgment on who that person was going to be and the type of help that you could receive. I mean, you're the expert in the room. Who's this guy? Yeah, um that was a thing. Um, and, and part of it was my pride and my stereotypes. Uh, but really, um, that didn't serve me well, right? Like what I should have done was right away when I realized I wasn't connecting with this initial counselor, go and see somebody else for the next week instead of, instead of staying isolated for an even longer period of time. Um, but that's, that's what I did. And, and, and I think it's important to communicate to people that, you know, sometimes you go and you try to get help from somebody and it's not a good fit 
I mean, you got to find your person. Yeah, you do. And, and, uh, well, look, uh, stereotypes are normal. I mean, that, that's human. We would like to think that we don't stereotype people or we don't do that, but you had a a preconceived notion of what this person was going to be. Case in point, when I first met you, I said, oh, that's, you know, that's the chaplain. Not hanging out with that guy. <laughs> right. But, you know, there's a lot of people that come and see me once <laughs> and only once. Like, I saw that guy twice, the first and the last time. But the reality is, like, what I thought or what I stereotyped a chaplain as is not the reality. Yeah, well, I mean, I am pretty cool. <laughs> I'm just joking. We'll move on. No. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah. you know, you have stereotypes about people. That's normal. That's human. You were going through a significant life event. So you can't get hung up on the fact that you had a stereotype. You have to kind of celebrate the fact that that didn't stop you from going again and trying again and saying, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to it, even though I think this about it going into it. I do celebrate that. I also wish that I had been more proactive sooner. Because I ended up wasting a lot of time and 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 using my uh, my stereotype and my mm-hmm. pride, using the stereotype as a as a way to justify uh, and give an excuse to really what was at the core issue was pride and anger and and I'm just uncomfortable needing help. I didn't want to need help. So let's talk about then then uh, that wasted time. What was going on at home? Because I know your amazing wife. She was amazing. Wasn't idle, but she was also being pretty patient. She was. Um, so there was this thing that she would do, and it it didn't really strike me in the moment how significant it was, but it was really significant. Um, every single day, without fail, she would start the day. And the first words to me, um, very simple, good morning. She didn't say, I love you. I think probably some mornings she's like, <laughs> I'm not kind sure. Kind of don't right now. Kind of feel like, I love you, but I don't like you, right? right. Um, so, so every single day, without fail, she says, good morning. And, and to me, in those moments, I, I would wake up and I would feel I would feel groggy and cranky and I'm like, good morning. There's nothing good about this morning. I got to go to work and I I can't drink until I come home. You know, some awful, some nonsense. That's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I never really said that, but that's what I'm thinking. Like there's nothing good about this morning. Um, But every day without fail, she says, good morning. And, and what I realized in hindsight was that what she was saying to me every single day at the beginning of the day was, Yesterday was yesterday, and it's done, and it's over, and today is a new day, and this new day has all of the potential to be good, and, and I, 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 I realized that when I, I, was, I was actually reading, and I can't remember, I think it's in Lamentations, it's a book, the it's a Bible book in Lamentations. And Lamentations is a is a book about a lot of bad stuff that happened to people. Um, 
this this the city the people um, uh, that the book is about um, had been destroyed, uh, and these people are going through awful, awful, awful mess, and like post-war, post-traumatic mess, and it's a it's a it's a cry is the po- it's a three chapters or four chapters of just tears, sadness, and sandwiched right in the middle of the book of lamentations just, just that's just all bad there's this line that says um god's mercy is new every morning his mercy is new every morning and that's the only good line in the entire book of lamentations new mercy every day and i was reading that and i was actually reading lamentations because i wanted to like get into the sadness of it, right? That misery loves company thing. Yeah, misery. I'm like, I'm going to read some lamentations and just cry with the people of Israel. Uh, and uh, um, and his mercy is new every morning. And, and, and when I read that, I actually heard, like in my mind's eye, I heard my wife's voice. Good morning. That's pretty powerful. It is, and I'm so thankful for it because uh, there was this kind of constant presence in my life saying, like, dude, today's a new day, and you can get after it, and you can make a difference. And all of those good mornings um, piled on top of each other, this compound effect of good morning, good morning, good morning, ultimately led to a point where... um, where I was like, okay, it's time for me to have a good morning again. And off I go. Um, and yeah, there was some, I think you asked me a question about uh, what stuff was like, right, at home. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Because I'm, I feel like through all of this, so she's getting up every morning and saying that to you, but really you have the person that you are closest with in this world recognizing that you have gone through extremely traumatic things over the past few years, not just your most recent injury. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you're struggling, struggling emotionally, you're struggling physically. And she's not giving up. Mm-mm. She is going to give you the space and time and patience that you need until you recognize that you got to stay in it. But she's not going to over push, but she's not going to step away and let you do something that ultimately takes you away from them. She's just going to be there with you through it. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I just am so thankful for is, is that, um, that I have somebody like that in my life and I want other people to have those people in their life, you know, and I want to, uh, I want, I want folks to know that uh, in our air force family, right. Um, mm-hmm. There are people, um, there are people in all of our lives who will be that person for us. Um, and it's a really good litmus test, um, of your, of your social network. Uh, are they healthy for you? Or are they not healthy for you? And, and just ask yourself the question, are these, the, are these people, um, the kind of people that are going to stick by me in difficult times? Are these people that are going to, um, to speak truth into my life when I don't want to hear it? Or are these people, um, people that are going to abandon me when things are tough? Or just always take my side and uh, and be another you know confirmation bias for my bad behavior, right? Right. And and I think um, 
it's just important. It's important to, you know, check yourself and also check your, check your social network sometimes. Well, and I would also, you know, we talk about celebrate the positive, celebrate good news. I would celebrate the fact that through all of that, you feel or you act in a way that would show you're relatively disconnected. You're not receiving messages. That love is not consistently getting through to you. And yet something woke you up and you did that evaluation and you went, oh my God, there's really this person who who loves me and is positive and is putting truth and positivity into my life. I've got to recognize her message. Yeah, it's true. Um, so we were talking one time, I, I don't remember if you remember this conversation, but I was telling you about my traumatic brain injury. Um, and that one of the things that happened as a result of it was that I lost my sense of smell. Oh, I cannot imagine because food smells so good. How do you, Yeah, I, I mean, like I you can't imagine that that you would want to lose that. I don't, I don't miss the smell of food. Um, I don't miss the smell of my teenager's uh, body odor. I don't miss the smell of my own body odor. In fact, I'm very, all fair thing. I'm very comfortable uh, <laughs> in the presence of my own rank. Um, but there's two, there's two things, there's two scents uh, that I miss. Um, one scent that I miss um, is the beach. I can't smell the beach when I go to the beach. Uh, and that's like a super bummer. Uh, that fresh, salty air. Fresh, salty air. Uh-huh. I miss it. So I miss, I, miss the, um, I miss the smell of the beach. And I miss uh, the smell of my wife's hair. Are you kidding with me right now? No, I'm not kidding you. Those are the only two things I miss. I'll I'll tell you. I think that's incredible. That's so sweet and loving, and to be the two things that you miss out on. I mean, yeah, um, pretty incredible. And, and I realized just what a what a special thing I have with my family for a while. Um, I struggled a little bit coming out of the, coming out of that season of uh, drinking. Um, you know, you come out of it and when you, when you start to get a clear head, uh, you begin to, you begin to start to notice the things that you regret mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, and, and there's this temptation, uh, in that, in that moment, uh, when you start to notice the things that you regret, like the, um, the, the, uh, the opportunities that you missed because you were more concerned with coming home and having a drink than, uh, sitting on the couch and, uh, enjoying time with the people that you love. You start to, you start to feel some regret and some shame and some, some, uh, some, some stuff. And, um, so do- so now, years later, you have time to process that. You, you know what you miss. Those are, I mean, the beach, grab it. But the closeness and the bond, when you say something like, I, I miss the smell of her hair. like, And you start to inventory all the other things. You talk about, you know, I was missing out on living my life. So that, that's guilt. There's a level of shame. And, and fine, you're, you're past all of that. And you've gone and you've sought help. And you're in this wonderful place. How do you manage that every day? Like, what do you have to do every day now that you've come through all that? Yeah, so 
It's a good question. Initially, um, it, initially, I had to just take all that stuff and put it somewhere else um, and, and concentrate on like the nutrition regimen that I had and the, uh, the conversations I was having with uh, my counselor and, and my wife when we were in counseling together. And um, initially, I just had to kind of like put it somewhere. Um, but, but, um, but over time, right. Uh, it, it comes back and, and you have to, you, you got to deal with it. And, uh, and so there was this, uh, and I have some practices that I, that I do in my life, but, but I, but I, I had to get to that point where I could incorporate these, these practices. Um, and the moment where things kind of turned, for me, was um, I was I was uh, reading um, in the Book of Romans. I would think I was preparing for a sermon or something like that. Um, and man, let me tell you, just as a side note, uh, sermon preparation when you're hungover. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so glad I don't do that anymore. Um, but because <laughs> it's just not fun. Um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, I don't know why I feel like I need to share that. Like, there's consequences, people. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think I was preparing for a sermon, uh, or maybe I was just in my regular kind of reading time, uh, and I, I came across this passage in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Um, and it says, uh, Therefore we are uh, more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I read that i mean that's a super popular verse anybody listening um that reads the bible uh, on any kind of regular basis knows that passage in romans 8 we are more than conquerors through him who loved us i had read that passage thousands of times i had i i think that in my uh graduate program my comprehensive exam um included a uh a dissecting of that passage grammatically from Greek and writing a big long, you know, essay on, you know, the, the cultural background and different things. I, I point is I'd been over it hundreds, maybe thousands of times. I'd gone past it over and over and over. And, and as I remember sitting in my study, uh, looking at that verse and just being stunned as if I had read it for the first time. Um, and, and I was stunned with the oddness of it. I, I, I read it and I, and I just got a little bit angry actually at, um, the guy that wrote it. Uh, his name was Paul. Uh, some people know him as St. Paul or the apostle Paul. Anyway, I'm like, what do you, what does this mean? Uh, more than conqueror. Like, what does that mean? How do you, how do you get to be more than a conqueror? It just struck me as, is strange because I think about, uh, competition when I think about victory more than a victor more than a winner more than a conqueror when I think of conquering I think competition and I think winners and losers and there's a winner and there's a loser like pretty if you, absolute yeah if you play a soccer game somebody wins somebody loses if you uh if you are the LA Dodgers uh you lose the World Series multiple years in a row and that's it right uh and, 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 uh, there's, there's, there's a winner and there's a loser. So how do you, how do you get to be more than a, more than a winner, more than a conqueror? I, I, and that's what, and that's what just struck me. And I was angry. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. 
And I sat there and I stared at it and I thought about it and I argued with it and I wrestled with it uh, for probably a good 45 minutes. Um, and then, and then, uh, and then it just kind of struck me. Uh, and I don't even, I, I'd like, I mean, I'd like to say that I like prayed and, you know, I was given a revelation, you know, but that's not, I mean, I didn't pray. I was just angry and frustrated and I was wrestling with it kind of like, um, Jacob wrestled, wrestling with God and God breaks my hip, you know, over this dumb passage. And uh, it struck me that, um, that what it means to be more than a conqueror, um, number one, the means, the means by which I had my, my victory really was love through him who loved us. There was love that got me to a point where I could conquer and, and now I had conquered, and the way that I could be more than a conqueror was to, to take the victory that I had um, and actually give it away. Uh, take, take the victory and the lessons that I've learned and the love, <laughs> the love that has so radically changed my life. Um. And no kidding, give it away. So I have a trophy. Um, I'm a winner. I'm a conqueror. I overcame this thing. and I'm taking that trophy and I'm giving it away. And the means by which I give my story away really is, is love. Um, I, I really try to love people and, uh, and love them well. Uh, and in that, I'm more than a conqueror. I take the victory I have, and I use all the darkness and all the sadness and all the frustration and all the rage that creeps up sometimes, and I take it and I make all of that um, a, a, a servant uh, to this story, this grand story of love uh, and service. So that's how I'm more than a conqueror. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't like have the temptation to... like come uncaged sometimes i do everybody does i'm a human human. i'm a person uh so so i i i I practice uh i call it uh i call it a daily sabbath um every single day i start my day my good morning um my good morning starts with me alone um and a cup of coffee uh (laughs) coffee and silence uh and and uh, I'm just quiet and still. Uh, I know that's hard to believe. Most people that know me I, can't. I don't believe it. Yeah, can't imagine me being still. <laughs> but I sit. Um, I sit for what what now is about a half hour, forty five minutes. It started out as about a about a thirty second exercise um, where I would do I do this examine exercise and, and examine prayer is what is what it's called. Um, uh, and it's a it's a it's really basically mindfulness, um, meditation, quiet, still, uh, reflection. And I just, I just slowly, um, from, uh, after recognizing sort of the physical support that is under my body in that moment. And, and then the, uh, the support that the universe and that, um, that my God has provided for me. Um, I, I sit and I recount the last 24 hours, uh, and I recount all the 
good things that have happened uh, in the last 24 hours. And I review all of the moments in the last 24 hours where I may have missed an opportunity to capitalize on some goodness. Um, and I sort of purge myself of those things. Uh, and then I spend a, 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 the other half of the time uh, anticipating the next 24 hours and uh, the good things that will, that will surely come in the next 24 hours. Uh, and, I, and I attempt to posture myself spiritually and mentally and emotionally to not miss out on opportunities to capitalize on goodness, to be able to recognize um, the, the desirableness in, in even difficult situations and to discover goodness in, um, in difficulty. And I just, I take, you know, depends on the day and, uh, what time I wake up, but I guard that time. I make sure that I do it every day. Um, half hour, 45 minutes of, uh, quiet, examined life. It's pretty beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) You want a poem? No, (laughs) roses are red. Well, I would like to take a minute and tell you, thank you. I'm incredibly grateful. Um, not just for our friendship, um, the friendship of your family, um, what that brings to my life, but really, really, really grateful that Whiteman, the airmen here, the families here, have you as one resource, but more than all of that, that you would be vulnerable and open to sharing your experiences so that somebody, anybody, even if it's just one person, can learn from that and find hope in that, or it tells them to reach out to somebody else and get help for themselves. So I appreciate it, and thank you. You're a wonderful friend. You're an amazing person. I love you. I love your family. So, thanks. Thank you. I'm not afraid. Practicing the pillars, out. I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. Now some of you might still be in that place if you're trying to get out.